Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hit Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. All right, here we go. I have a, I have big news, Tori Lavelle. I didn't even tell you about this. Big news. I love it. What is that? I, you should have you should have kept drinking that cup of coffee so you could do a spit take when I give you this news. Mm-hmm. I am inducting you into the Bradford Show Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it a? Um, it's a committee of one, and it's an att- the the attendance is now one. No. Nope. No, there's there's a it's the it's a growing list. It's the nice. ring, ring of honor. Um, uh, do you want to know who else is in it? I'm I know Mike Lowell is in it for He's sure. He's not. No. No. I'm, I mean, uh, if, I mean by by the end of the weekend he might be. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know who's in it. Give me give me some of those. Well, crazy- another manager, another manager who was just on the podcast this week as well, uh, a National League manager. David Ross. Okay, for sure. David yeah. Ross is on it. Joe Kelly is on it. Okay. Um, uh, Travis Shaw is on it. Daniel Bard was inducted just uh, just a few weeks ago. Brian Johnson is on it. And I think that is it. I think that is it. Fantastic. Well, I am honored. I'm honored to be with those names, right? Some unbelievable Boston Red Sox. But the fact that you thought highly enough uh, in that committee of one to nominate me and make me a member, I, I, it's a good day for me today. And plus, you get a t-shirt. I will, give you, I will give your whole family t-shirts. Whoa. <laughs> there you go. That's so, a sometimes a committee of one is the best way to go, as we found out in, in front offices uh, throughout baseball sometimes. So, <laughs> too many cooks in the kitchen. And uh, this cook has inducted you. So congratulations on that. Well-deserved. I don't know if you remember the first time, when the first time that you came on the Bradford Show, if, you, if you're thinking, someday, someday, I am going to be in the Hall of Fame. It was probably, let's see, it was probably, well, it has to have been 2013, right? 2013. Yeah, for sure. But there's some room for interpretation because we had the, the Tuesdays with Tori. And then we yeah. had the Brad Fo show. But I always appreciate you coming on, and I always appreciate your insight and your expertise and your enter- entertainment, all, all of it. I appreciate that. And I was Tuesdays with Tori, and I did come down into the little studio down there in center field at Fenway and spent some time with you guys. So um, I appreciate the time, as always. Likewise, it, it, that, that works both ways. The entertainment is uh, not just one-sided. I was getting you ready for the press conferences. Those, that tough Arizona media. That's what you told me. You said, uh, I'm, you're cutting your teeth with me, and you got to remember me one day when you're a big, a big league manager. So you knew more than I did. And here you are. You remembered me, and we're nice enough to come on once again uh, in the middle of the offseason. Just after, just minutes ago, as we're taping this, uh, this is, uh, people are going to be listening to this probably on Monday, but as we're taping this, the Red Sox just hired Alex Cora. Um, it will be his third year as manager in the major leagues. Um, tell me, Tori, what is the challenges if you look at year one compared to year three? What are the? How do you look back at that? What What is the advice? What are the differences? 
these, this is something that I can answer, I can guess, but you have much better insight. Well, first of all, I want to um, congratulate the Boston Red Sox and, and AC for, um, for getting back to a place where he belongs. You know, I know it was just an unfortunate time for baseball and for him. And um, it is what it is. And everybody's moved forward and off of it. And, and, and to get him back in the dugout um, is pretty special for Major League Baseball. He's a tremendous manager. He's a tremendous person and a tremendous leader. So congrats to him. As far as uh, the changeover and year by year, you know, year one, um, there's, there's a certain excitement. You know, your message is crystal clear. Uh, everybody's wide-eyed and, and trying, to, trying to take it all in. And you live it and breathe it every day, and it's fresh. Um, you know, as the years wear on, you've got to be a little bit more creative as to how to deliver those messages and keep things fresh. Um, you know, you don't want to get stale. You don't want to get stuck in, in, in 2018. Uh, it was a great year for them. But uh, the game keeps evolving, and I think the message and the idea of how to uh, create a very diverse message that is driving a culture gets a little bit more challenging. So I know that AC is, is top of his game with that. I'm sure that he's waiting to get back in that dugout, get in front of his players, and make sure they understand what his vision is. Well, you know, you, so you had a very successful first year, and obviously Alex did as well. And you have that dynamic of, well, in their case, they won the World Series what are you going to do differently? How do you, and, and, and you sense that like they knew that they probably should do something different, but it's hard to do things different when you've had success. And probably with the same thing in your case where it worked pretty well. So why do we want to really change everything? Looking back at that, because with Alex, it really, that was, I, in my opinion, that was one of the, the problems in 2019 that I did feel like they sort of went into it and said, oh, everything's going to be sort of the same. They won't say that. That's me talking. So from year one to year two, how difficult was that looking back? Well, um, you know, in, in years past, the game kind of plays out. And, you know, in 1995, the game would play out for nine innings. And then, um, you know, the best team would, would on that day would generally win. Now today the game is broken down into nine nine segments. It's 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 very specialized, and you know there's a little bit of a challenge with that. So you got to manage nine different innings um, uh, each and every night. That that's a little bit of a changeover. I think what you can't do is just say that we are the Boston Red Sox or the Arizona Diamondbacks, and you're coming to Fenway, and we're we're going to beat you guys. That just doesn't happen in baseball anymore. It's so competitive. Um, it's so um, diverse as I got a chance to explain with, with how it's broken down in the segments that teams are very well prepared today. Um, so really what, what I, what I demand here in Arizona is that we're, we fundamentally execute at a very high level, uh, in everything that we do. So the drill packages that we put in, in spring training, um, we practice fast. That's one of my demands and we practice hard for when we need to make that play in the ninth inning. And in August, we practiced it many, many times and it's still fresh in our minds. That never goes away. I just think the message that you gotta, you gotta continue pounding down is that there is a vision, there is something at the end of this road that we wanna get to. Uh, we can't just throw the baseballs out there anymore. That just doesn't happen. Uh, teams, teams have gotten good really fast. And if you're getting counterpunched, you gotta figure out how to defend that counterpunch. And really those are, the, those are some of the things that I talk about with our team and really the staff as well. <laughs> we need to identify when we're getting counterpunched or sucker punched. Um, and we can't let that happen. So we rely on one another. We rely on the staff. We rely on the front office to give us some information, uh, and we go out there and apply it every single night. What, what is it going to, to next year? 
what is it, what are you doing differently? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, besides, besides, let's assume this is a big assumption. Let's assume that some of this is more normal, right? That it isn't like the crazy COVID, all of this crazy COVID stuff that we saw this year. But just in a normal year, what do you do differently? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, to to your question here that you originally asked, and I forgot to get to it. You don't want to change too much. You don't want to go in there and try and reinvent the wheel and say, "Hey, look, this is this is the new version of the." Boston Red Sox and the Arizona Diamondbacks for 2021. No, no way. You got to manage the team that you have. You got to manage the players that you have. So what will I do differently? I'm not sure yet because I want to see how the team shapes up. Our front office has an unbelievable job of adding in some, some key, some key free agents in, in certain areas. I got to figure out who we have before I can start to make those decisions and say, this is who we are going to be. And this is what we're going to do. My demands will always stay the same. My demands are your best effort, you know, all, all the typical coaching things. Compete. Everybody's in. We're all pulling the rope on the same uh, – one rope the same way every single night. That, that's what I'm trying to figure out, how to get those main points across. Once we get into uh, January and February, when I start to get over and watch some of our early workouts, I'll start to see these players, and I'll start to get a, a feel for some of the things that I'm going to do. Not that they're necessarily differently but the, the things that I'm going to need to do that are a necessity that are going to help this team push forward every single day. So, you know, I, I talk about, you know, when, when they were looking, the Red Sox were looking to make their next managing hire. I wrote this yesterday. I said, let's not forget that you have to identify what's best for that team. Like we're, we're getting caught up in like the personas, the names, whatever analytics, like, but every team demands the right fit. Like, and I use this example. 2013, you guys were absolutely the right fit for that team, right? I mean, you probably felt it. It was, it was I, they went, they had a misread with Bobby and went 180 degrees away from um, uh, Francona. And, and then they got closer to that. Not exactly the same, but with that group of a lot of 30-somethings. It was a great fit. It was a great fit. So flash forward to 2018 when Alex is hired, the mentality of, well, you know, Alex is a guy, maybe baseball in this group, the roster is turned over. Maybe it's someone who is going to go out in the clubhouse more. Maybe it's, it's, just, it's just maybe a different group, a different fit. So in baseball managing right now, what is the most important thing? So, like, you know, it can't just be he's a good baseball man anymore. It can't just be, uh, well, he really knows about analytics. You know, what is, what is the most important thing for a baseball manager right now? Yeah, I think it's changed over time. Um, when I was a player many, many moons ago, it was the manager was a judge, juror, and executioner, and you had to, um, you had to please him or else you were going to be gone. Uh, pleasing your teammates also was something that was very, very um, um, popular. And if you weren't a good teammate, you were, you were going to probably be shipped out and shipped quickly to another, um, another level or another team. Uh, today's baseball is um, a little bit different. When I say that, it's still nine innings between the white lines. You go out and compete and you go out and you do your best job to win a baseball game. But what a baseball manager does today now is he ties, uh, ties together – and he's the conduit uh, 20, for 26 guys. He has 26 different relationships. 
and he's able to uh, make sure that he understands what it's going to take to put each player in the right position to be successful. Like I mentioned earlier, it's broken down into segments, so you can kind of plug and play each segment with each guy. The balance is and the challenge is the unique way that you're changing night by night. You know, one player is hitting second one night, and the next night he's hitting seventh. Um, that's very unconventional baseball. Uh, that's something that is changing and evolving. You know, if you've got a team that one through one through eight is perfectly suited to hit one through eight the entire year, you're going to do it. But when you're challenged in certain areas, certain times, certain ways, right, left matchups, you're going to have to figure out a way to maximize the, 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 the run scoring potential. How you balance out with your players is really important. So for me, it's communication. The fact that you're going to talk to the players, it's the, it's the common denominator for everything that makes things work. You communicate, you build a relationship, you develop um, a certain caring attitude, you empathize, you see things through their eyes, and then you build trust. And once you have trust, it becomes very, very powerful. I think that today is what a manager does. And if you can't get out and get on the ground floor with these players and understand where they're coming from, they're going to tune you out right away. And that, that, that's very destructive. When... Lou Whitaker blew out his knee at Studio 54, and you got a chance to be in the major leagues, right? Almost, there you go. Almost a spit take. <laughs> um, did, uh, did Sparky Anderson communicate that to you? Oh, you got a great memory. That's such a good story. Uh, no, okay. I mean, it's, like, it's one of the best stories of all time. That's great. I can, mean, you tell, I, can you tell it, please? Can you tell it? I had to go dancing. Well, the um, – it was, it was September baseball. I was in my second, my first full season in the minor leagues. I just had been drafted the year prior. Um, and I migrated all the way to AAA. And I just was a consistent baseball player. I didn't do anything great, but I picked up the baseball, put the bat on the ball, um, and uh, went home for the, uh, for the offseason uh, as a non-roster player. And uh, about three days, four days um, after my journey across country, I get a phone call saying that uh, they need me in New York because the Tigers are in a pennant race and they lost their second baseman. I didn't hear why. And, and that, remember, that at that time, AP and the UPI, that was the only way in the, in the, in the daily newspaper you're getting your information. There's no computer or cell phones where you can pick it up and find out what's going on. So um, I get on a plane the next day, uh, head to New York. I get welcomed by, um, by Sparky, um, and he – pulled me into that, the, the old office in Yankee Stadium, and he said, you know, you can call yourself a big leaguer. You're going to have your own baseball card. This, this life and this world is totally different as you know it, but here are my simple demands, and if you do this, we won't have a problem. End of story. That was it. Then I, I'm trying to figure out who's who. Like, I know that I've been watching these guys on TV forever. That's Alan Trammell. That's Jack Morris, and I don't see um, Lou Whitaker. Uh, so I just was had my – and I, look – I didn't say a word for the entire month that I was there. I, I, I didn't even talk. Um, I started to hear that Lou Whitaker was placed on the disabled list with a bruised knee. And uh, I found out about two weeks later, after I started to hit the ball and people started to talk to me, they told me that Lou was out at uh, Studio 54 dancing and, and um, had made some sort of a dance move and, and banged up his knee. And that was a reason for uh, the need for a second baseman. So, uh, I have a lot of thanks to give to Lou Whitaker, but um, uh, it turned out as good as it possibly could have. And it's something we can laugh about now, but at the time it was very serious because they were in a pennant race. And um, I think we lost the, well, lost the East by one game. It's a great story. I mean, if you're going to have a break into the major league story, have Studio 54 involved. 
So that's right. the that's that's the big lesson, right? For sure. For sure. <laughs> what uh when you when you were bench coach of the the Red Sox, um, you know a lot. You had to. Is this where it's sort of like it? While I say I have taught you how to get in front of the microphone and be so eloquent in your press conferences, that experience probably taught you a, a lot about with all this communication stuff that we're talking about now. And it's it, listen, we, like you said before, that team was a lot of thirty something. We look back at it. It was a lot. And so, but when you look back at that, did, was that an eye-opening experience of going through with that with that team about the communication aspect of it? Very much so. Um, and, you know, it, 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 I, a lot of those lessons that I learned from that year, I carry, carry on with me right now. Um, you know, look, I, I played for a lot of unbelievable managers. One of them is very well known in Boston, Tito. Um, that were unbelievable communicators and um, some that weren't. So I knew that communication was going to be something that is inside of me. And, and you know, I, sometimes I, 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 get, uh, I get a lot of crap from some of my friends because they feel like they're on the Tonight Show every single night when they talk to me because I'm asking questions and just trying to communicate. But I think, you know, aligning with somebody and understanding where they come from and asking questions and being an active listener is extremely important in the art of communication. And that's who I am at my core. So when I got to that 2013 um, bench coach position, I was thrown in front of a lot of different personalities. And, if, you know, we, we can name a few of them right now with, you know, Ryan Dempster, Johnny Gomes, uh, Dustin, uh, David, uh, Big Poppy. Well, uh, Victorino, you know, Ross. And, you know, it's like right. a lot of different personalities. Endless. And it was a lot of really good championship minds that came together in one place that understood what they were trying to do every single night to win baseball games. Um, so I, 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 once again, I, I felt like I was that rookie in New York where I just was listening more than I was talking and I was paying attention to, and then eventually I think this, this mutual respect began to evolve, evolve between me and all of these players. And I would start to communicate with them a little bit differently than I would with, you know, with, with other guys at other times, it wasn't the same. And uh, they started to offer different things to me. And, and, you know, that group kind of pulled me along. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. I was, a, I was a first year bench coach, but I figured my job was to be the conduit between John and the players. And uh, I was able to get information from the players that was helping John make good baseball decisions on, on the field. And it started to work. And what I started to realize is that the players really appreciated that, that level of communication. They felt like they had an ally all the coaches are allies. We only want the best for all the players at all times. Players sometimes don't think that when they don't get the playing time or the at-bats or the innings that they want, but all the coaches are allies for those players because when they do good, the team does good, and when the team does good, we win world championships. So that was kind of my message. I wanted to be a resource for them to offload some stuff, and then I developed some very strong relationships that still exist today. You remember that off? Do you remember the off day? I brought this up with Ross, David Ross the other day. Because um, we're talking about, um, oh, we're talking about John Lester buy, <laughs> buying Chicago 5,000 beers. Yeah. And, and David Ross said that he, John Lester, had bought him more than 5,000 beers. And I said, I suspect on an off day in September at the Vinoy uh, that maybe a, a good chunk of those 5,000 beers. <laughs> do you remember this? <laughs> oh, my God. How do I forget that? So, so as, a, as a bench coach, this is as a parent, as a parent. Yeah. When you see guys doing cannonballs off of 
Is the wife giving you bad luck here? <laughs> no, because my wife was one of the ones doing cannonballs off of the off of. Were the, you there? Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you how the night started. How it okay. started. Um, my wife and I migrated down to the pool, uh, and it was her and I and Don Orsillo and his wife Kathy. Um, it was the four of us, and it was fairly early in the afternoon because. All the players were either out. It was an off day. It was a crucial, crucial time of the year. But it's so typical of what the players and what really good players do is they balance things. They offload it. They, they, when it's time to go play a baseball game, there's nobody more dialed in. But for an off day, they would go fish. They would golf. They would go out to lunch. They'd hang out with friends, family, whatever it was. And then at some point, they would come back to the hotel and make it about the team. So that's what ended up happening. Um, it was the four of us out there, and then Mike Roos and, and, um, and his, at the time, fiance, fiance at the time came down. So it was the six of us. And all of a sudden, one by one, these players were coming back from their excursions. And they saw us over there, and um, they just jumped in. And the next thing you know, the pool was full of the entire Boston Red Sox team. And Mike Napoli was, was supplying um, the uh, – the refreshments and it went on forever and ever. But we we still laugh about it because um, we have I have a picture of my wife jumping off of the um, <laughs> off of waterfall, holding hands with Ryan Dempster, <laughs> hear the fall together. It was if you look back on it and you're talking about being a parent, I would absolutely go crazy if I saw my children doing what we were doing that night. So of that of that now historic night which is like launched you guys into great things in the postseason. Because like I said, I, I can name the exact day. I think it was like September 6th. Um, but the thing that I don't grasp, maybe Kristen could say this, is like, it was, that is like five feet of water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You tuck your feet, tuck your legs up. Yeah. Bottom, hit the bottom. Yeah, so, right? That's what I'm saying. If you were to tell somebody to, that you'd be doing that, um, yeah. I would say absolutely not. But I only there, did it once and then I stopped. There was a very creative way to land. And uh, that's why I said, if you do it, Ryan Dempster's got to go up there and help you out because I know that you're going to potentially can make a mistake and break, and break your leg. Well, I'm glad everyone survived, and it was, it's, a, it's a good story. So, yeah, it's a great story. It was a great day. It, <laughs> defined, it defined what the Boston Red Sox were. I think so, right? I mean, I, I think so. That's why I keep coming back to it. At the most critical time of the year, when you think we're all, you know, taking batting practice on an off day and, and, and watching video on an off day, the, the core group of Boston Red Sox were out at the pool having a great team get together and a great bonding moment that you're right, I think, defined us and pushed us to the next level. All right, uh, quick right-hand turn, because um, I don't want to keep you too long, but we were talking a little bit about uh, Mookie, Mookie going to the division. And we had talked, I think, last year when you were nice enough to come on the podcast, I think the first time, one of the first times that you were introduced to Mookie. And, you know, one of the things, you know, with Mookie, and I'm going to compare yourself with Mookie, is is – what you talked about before listening like i've said this and you don't have to respond to it i've tell people this i said it here's the thing i told this tory when i interviewed for the high school basketball coaching job last winter i referenced your name wow thank you i referenced your name because i said that you were one of the best listeners that i've ever come across 
And that's the truth. And I, the, how important that is. And now with Mookie, like that was one of the things that, that struck me out of the gate too. He listened, right? He listened. Am I wrong? He was a good listener. Yeah, you're right. Uh, did you get the job, by the way? If you reference oh me, my, you probably didn't get the oh job. Oh, my goodness. Right? It, was, it was like a combination life lesson name drop. So, like, I think by, by, at that point, it was, there was no doubt I was getting it. We had oh an unbelievable God. year, too. Unbelievable. You went to the league finals. Congrats on that. I can't, I, I can't put the ball in the hoop in the finals, you know? So what are you no. going to do? There you go. So you went to the finals, but you didn't win the finals. I like the way you said that. No, we played as many games as anybody in the league. Nice, nice. Okay. Um, yeah, I think Mookie um, is, is an unbelievable person um, who happens to be an amazing athlete and has mastered his, his art in, within our sport. I mean, it's just, it's an unbelievable combination um, that, he, that he walks around with every single day. I, what I've said about Mookie since I've met him, and look, I love him like my own sons, right? He's just such a speci special um, person. Not, I don't love him because he's a great baseball player. I love him because he's a special person. But the reason why he's good at what he does is because he has an unbelievable ability to look at his limitations, address them properly, and confront them head on. You look at young players, they know what their limitations are, yet they're afraid to even examine them. And they kind of put it on the side and they say, I'm, I'm in the big leagues right now, but I want to do, do that a little bit differently than somebody's telling me. Mookie would miss a couple of sliders or a couple cut fastballs, and he'd come back in the dugout, and he would go on a mission to ask everybody that was a right-handed hitter, how do you hit that pitch? How do you see that pitch? How do you stay on that pitch? He would even ask me, and I was a switch hitter, and I'm like, look, I'm, I'm not even in your class, so I'm going to just bog you down. Ask the right people. There's seven more over there that you can ask. And I'd see him talking to people. And then he'd come back to me or hitting coaches, and he would say, what do you think about this? This is what they told me. And I said, yeah, it applies. And I know he's having the same conversations with Chili Davis about you know, what, 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 that, what that would look like in the box. And once he mastered it, he was on to the next task. And I'm sure that's what he's doing right now. He never feels like he hasn't made. So really what he's doing is he knows what he's not real good at. He's a little bit insecure, a little bit uncomfortable about it. And then he goes out and asks questions and listens and learns. Is he the best player in baseball? Oh, man, you're going to trap me. Um, <laughs> it's not a trap. It's just an opinion. I mean, it's like, listen, there's two guys. Yeah, it's there's not two like, guys. It's not like you're saying that one's bad. It's... I, think, I think they're tied for first. How about that? You know, um, <laughs> I think, you know, one's in the National League, and he's the best National League player. One's in the American League. He's the best American League player. I've seen Mike Trout, too, and, and um, he, he's just – I mean, he, he's a modern-day Mickey Mantle, right? I, and at the end of, end of a night, he's going to do something special to beat you. Um, and it might not be a game-winning hit. It might be a 10-pitch at-bat where he walks and steals a bag or makes a great play on defense. Mookie has the same ability. and um, They don't care. They don't care what it, about anything other than winning a baseball game. And they'll sacrifice everything they stand for or everything, everything that, they, that they feel personally about themselves to go out for their team. And that's what makes him even more special. I don't was, know Mike Trout, but I know Mike Mookie Betts very well, and I know that's what he stands up. When you saw Mookie this year, did you see a more confident guy? Um, or did well, you see the same guy that you had seen? Or, I mean, you hadn't yeah, seen him in a while, but. Yeah, I hadn't seen him in a while. We, we occasionally would text and, and um, keep in touch that way over the, over the past couple of years. Um, I, I saw him for the first time in spring training. 
um, over at um, uh, their facility. And, you know, in true Mookie fashion, he came running over right in front of our dugout across the middle of the field before the game. And, um, you know, we, we got a chance to embrace and hug and told him that I was proud of him. I loved him and congrats on, on, on the trade and, and the situation. It's going to be a good one for you no matter what, because that's what you do. You make situations great. Um, I don't love that we're going to be facing him for the next 10 plus years, but I'm really happy for him. I'm so proud of him. And I told the other conversation, you know, it's not uncommon. You know, I tell him I love him. He tells me the same thing back and we go our separate ways. But as I was watching him, he just does things so easy. Uh, he looks confident every time he steps into the box. Um, I do know certain things about him where I know he's not feeling good. And, and, and I know his body language so well that, that <laughs> there are certain times where we shouldn't have pitched to him that we did because I knew that he wasn't feeling good and it worked out okay. But trust me, he beat us a few times, a couple, couple, you know, heart stabs um, that, that he threw at us. And it didn't surprise me because that's who he is. Well, he was on the verge of being inducted in the Bradford Show Hall of Fame. He was very accommodating, always come on exactly right around June. Um, but he was disqualified when he gave his, when I found out he gave his t-shirt to the translator. So that's just a lack of disrespect. I mean, you yeah. even a t-shirt without inducting him. I mean, that can't happen. Well, it was, it was, you know, it, it was, it was, a, it was, a, I was, I was, um, I was giving it a lot of t-shirts at the time. Let's put it that way. But well, now, now, now these are Hall of Fame t-shirts. That's the difference. That's the difference. You know, look, if it's a translator, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that he's translating for another player from an international city or an international country, right? Or he, he is trying to promote the Bradfoe show and trying to make it international. No. So, nice try. Yeah. Nice try. I've, I've, if I've, I've already got that, that demographic covered when I had Ruby De La Rosa and Felix DeBrant on the podcast yeah. at the same time for the sole reason that I wanted to call a headline the Ruby and Doobie show. So, nice. yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, there you go. You know what's uh, great is you said, you probably asked Mookie, hey, how's that T-shirt? And he's so honest. Remember what I talked about? He looks at things. He presses, hey, I'm sorry I gave the T-shirt away to the translator. He probably offered you that information. Uh, no, I, no, I, I, some, some hardcore reporting, actually, I had to find out. He, in fairness, the first shirt I gave him was literally like, it was a dress on him. It was, it was down to his, you know, so he hadn't, he hadn't quite bulked up. He was 160 pounds. His baseball reference was 160 pounds. So, you know, he, any t-shirt was going to be big on him. So I don't, I don't blame him for giving it away, but you know, yeah. I, that's what's hard to believe about him also, right? He, um, he's 170 pounds soaking wet, right? Like, that, that's crazy to me. He's a, and he's the best player. You look at Mike Trout, that looks like the best baseball player in the world. Mookie Betts look like, looks like he'd be a scientist if you see him walking down the street, right? No way he's a baseball player, one of the best in the world. He's a scientist. Uh, I will say this. Like, that's good for his longevity, I think. I, I agree. Right? You know, everyone tries to project, oh, well, I had to get the last 12 years. Well, you know, the wear and tear of – trust me, as someone who has fluctuated in their weight, like the wear and tear of, of carrying around weight is, is, is not good, I mean, whether it's muscle or whether it's whatever. I mean, we've seen guys who, are, who got bigger and bigger and bigger. They say, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm like, no, you're too big. Yeah. I don't think anyone will ever say that about Mookie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with so, that. 
All right. Well, I don't want to keep you. Congratulations to you and your family. Thank uh, you. What a, what, what, a, what a day it is. Uh, <laughs> it is it's, it's always good to see. Can we get your wife in? Can we get Kristen in real quick? Yeah, come on over here. Yeah. She said we're going to celebrate tonight. It's going to be a big I'm night. I'm going to jump off the roof. <laughs> oh, yes. Cool. Yeah. Can, can, you text so, me the, can you text me the picture? Yeah, yeah, you will? Yeah. Promise? Yep. I okay. should look. Right, I was getting ready to. Her son glasses are on. You know why? Son oh. never sits on a badass. <laughs> every day. Every day. It's always a good line like that. Uh -huh. Every day. Just kind of trying to score some points. You know what I'm doing. You guys are the best. <laughs>